Welcome to the Film Stage Show, uh, brought to you by Mubi. Uh, this episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. Every day, Mubi premieres a new film, whether it's a timeless classic, a cult favorite, or an acclaimed masterpiece. It's guaranteed to be either a movie you've been dying to see or one you've never heard of before, and there will always be something new to discover. With Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected, so you never spend more time looking for something great to watch and instead you'll actually be watching something great it's like your own personal film festival streaming anytime anywhere try movie free for 30 days at movie.com slash film stage that's mubi.com slash film stage for a whole month of great cinema for free and this month they are revealing uh that the graduate 1967's Mike Nichols uh, film, a true classic that still feels fresh as ever. Mike Nichols' prototypical coming-of-age drama pinpoints the desires and angst of a new generation about to enter adulthood. Dustin Hoffman and Anne Bancroft bring it to life, merging with their indelible characters to create new cinematic icons. Yeah, I love The Graduate, so this is a great film. Um, Robin, what do you think? Oh, I love The Graduate. Yeah. Michael, you got an opinion on this? I love The Graduate as well. It's a classic. <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah uh that's on movie this month uh also releasing is the trouble with being born from 2022 and a film about uh japanese volleyball players called the witches of the orient i have no fucking clue what that's about um besides that so uh sounds interesting that was released earlier this year so uh but yeah that's what's movie. yeah did you say one of those movies was from 2022? Uh, 2021. So oh. earlier this year. Gotcha. It's like coming back from the future. Yeah. Graduate, okay. obviously one of the best. Yeah. Yeah. Can't like, it's like, we're all just like, yep. One of the greatest movies of all time. What's just, <laughs> what else is there to say? Okay. Everything that needs to be said about the graduate has been said. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So, what do we got going on today? How is everybody doing? Things good here. I've got no complaints. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing nice and relaxed after several days of no work. So, I'm feeling great. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then tomorrow it all plummets again. Right. That's going to um, be weird. Yeah. What were the best things that you guys ate this weekend or this week rather for the holiday? Definitely my um, mac and cheese and my cousin's potato salad, top knot. Mm. <laughs> many, many helpings throughout the four day weekend it was great. Wonderful. What about you, Bill? Uh, uh, my favorite thing was. Um, my wife made a homemade pecan pie with our own pecans from our pecan tree. Oh shit. Um, yeah. <laughs> You're um, in Texas for real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so she made uh, her grandmother's like old recipe 
Um, and what was nice about it is that it's not as sweet as normal pecan pie, um, which I don't necessarily mind it being sweet, but some people are like, uh, it's, it's just too sweet. And I'm like, okay, well, whatever. And this one's a little bit less sweet and it's just really good. Um, and of course, you know, homemade and everything like that, but honestly, like that's not going to pepper my opinion about it. It's just good. So she made two of them and I had two slices of each of them. And I'm very disappointed that we didn't come home with any, <laughs> any leftovers. <laughs> no. So isn't that a compliment to, though? I'm going to have to get her to make it and have it as for myself. So oh my God, so I'm going to come visit you and pick some pecans off your tree. <laughs> I, I will kick you out if you say it like that. <laughs> oh, wait, how are you supposed to say it? Pecan. 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 Okay, pecans are my yeah, favorite no. pecans. <laughs> Eat your pecans. Um, well, we're so excited to uh, have you today, uh, Michael. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? what about you, Robin? Oh, shit, I forgot about me. Um, I made, well, we, we did the whole spread. Just It was me and my husband. Uh, we did literally everything and have just gotten totally sick of Thanksgiving food over the last four days. But the best thing that we made was my famous pear and sausage stuffing. It is delicious. There is a shitload of butter in it. Um, shallots, <laughs> leeks, celery, fancy sausage, um, sweet pears. I mean, it's just, it's, it's wonderful. Um, are, are there bitter pears? Why, why no, they're sweet. Sweet. They're, they're, that's just the recipe. It's like the Anjou or whatever pears, Bosque, Bosque, Bosch. I'm not really sure how you pronounce that, but um, it just gives it a really nice element to contrast with the, the savoriness of the, you know, the, uh, the stuffing is supposed to be very like almost pungent with saltiness. <laughs> um, so the, oh, wow. the sweetness of the pear just like gives that, that, that contrasting I flavor. Should. Yeah, it's really, well, really you, good. You had me at some of butter. Yeah, <laughs> it's, just, it's a compound butter. So you add like a bunch of herbs and shallots and you put that in your food processor with butter. And then when the butter is like all mushy, then you put it, like you mix it into the bread and that way the butter gets everywhere, not just at the top where you, people usually put it when it, and it melts through. So I highly recommend that. Um, and of course, homemade chicken uh, broth and everything just comes together. And we had so many leftovers that we made uh, stuffing waffles today. So we just crammed it all together with some egg, put it in the waffle maker. And it was delicious. And we added some pecan <laughs> syrup. I'm sorry, pecan syrup. Pecan. Pecan. <laughs> pecan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was really good. Um, so I don't even think we even introduced you, Michael. So today our yes. guest is uh, Michael Kuby. Um, Michael, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes. Um, hello, my name is Michael QB. I am an entertainment journalist. Uh, I'm the entertainment uh, the editor at large for Call Me Nazism, and I'm an entertainment writer at Nylon. I'm also freelance everywhere. And yeah, I'm very excited to be here today. Woo! Yay, freelancers like me. Um, Bill, I don't know. Do you, are you a freelancer as well, or do you have like a steady gig? I mean, I uh, used to be. Oh, oh, sorry. sorry. You were at the <laughs> uh, No, I am not a freelancer anymore. Uh, I gave that up a while ago. So uh, just doing the podcast. And yeah, that's that's my main. 
that's a steady gig, dude. <laughs> that's yeah, like it's, the thing. It's, it's a it's a full time kind of commitment. So totally lately. To- yes, it's been pretty busy lately. Um, so yeah, we're we're happy to have all sorts of people on. And Michael, we're very very excited to have you. Um, so yeah, what's our movie yeah. today? Our movie today is the House of Gucci. Is it actually is it the House of Gucci or House of Gucci? I think it's just House of Gucci. I think it's just House. Yeah, it's just House yeah. of Gucci. Thank you. It was a name that sounded so sweet, so seductive. Synonymous with words, style, power. But that name was a curse too. So yeah, very, very excited to talk about this movie. Probably one of my personal uh, most anticipated films of the year. And in in my opinion, it did not disappoint. Uh, although it's obviously very different than I what it's different from what I thought it would be, but I still enjoyed it. And I'll definitely talk more about that. Um, but we'll we'll start today with your thoughts, Michael. Um, you know, what are your sort of nutshell opinions about House of Gucci? Yeah, so I have to say that I mean I agree like in a short like tweet length, you know, answer. I thought I had a lot of fun in the movie. It's definitely again not what I thought it was gonna be. I don't even necessarily know that I can qualify it as a particularly good movie, but it is definitely <laughs> a very fun movie and entertaining that um I think, you know, had me laughing a lot, which again, not necessarily what I thought I was going into, but it's a great movie to see in a like full theater. I will say that, definitely. I agree. I agree. Um, Bill, what what about you? Um, I really enjoyed this, but I I do have to say that um, really Scott has kind of had an up and down career uh, for me lately. Um, I really, really hated The Counselor. I hated that movie. And this film is very different from that, but in a lot of ways, it's kind of similar where he's really just kind of going for a mood, a tone, and I just never got on board with that film. Uh, Thankfully, I definitely got on board with this film, and I don't know if it's the goofy Italian accents or things like that, but you know, when you have this film and you have someone like Jared Leto in one of the supporting performances and just absolutely going for it, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know how you can resist this film's charms. The only thing I will say, and this is classic Bill, but also I've seen this criticism levied at it quite a few times, is the film is too fucking long. And I get it. They're trying to tell a lot of story in, you know, about this and really kind of savor the mood and everything like that. But I I think this film could cut a good 20, 30 minutes, still be just as good, uh, if not better because of it. So that's my initial thought. I think it's so strange that it seems like two and a half hours is like the new norm for films now. I feel like (laughs) that used to be considered like a very long film, and now it's like I'll get invited to a screening and it's like I see that it's two and a half hours, and I'm like, oh, that is like, I guess what I'm expecting. I'm tight, 90 doesn't exist, and two hours is short. (laughs) Yeah. I I kind of blame it on Netflix bloat in some ways because now that, you know, most, 
most people our age, I suppose, are into streaming the the tight 22 or tight 45 long minute long TV show doesn't exist anymore. Now it's 59 right. minutes, six, six, 60 minutes or 65 minutes. Now it, you know, right. for an hour long or it's 35 to 50 minutes for a comedy, which would have been 22 on any broadcast or cable show. So I kind of see it the same way here. It's just like everybody forgets that things can be edited now <laughs> like like your brilliance is not that brilliant like cut that shit out i screamed from the hilltops um yeah but i agree with and you it's very and like speaking of editing it's so strange there was a conversation happening on twitter today about how there's a scene in the trailer um from studio 54 that does not exist in the film at all so there's like evidence <laughs> that they still were actually trimming stuff off and yet we still ended up with like a movie that was over two and a half hours oh my god is that the 98 movie in the 1999 film am i what thinking is? the right no, thing no uh, no so there's a scene in house of gucci like oh, from studio 54 this is how i was like <laughs> gotcha. That is exists in the trailer, like the first thing that they that they released. There's that there's like a part that shows that scene, but the entire scene was, I guess, cut from the final film. So it doesn't you don't see it at all in the film. I see. I thought you were talking about the movie about Studio 54 that's from like 20 some odd years ago. And I was like, what an interesting day for Twitter to jump on a random like decades old movie. Um, that's really funny though. And it, it totally shows how I'm really not on Twitter. Um, and I can't even say it's because I have a life because I don't. Um, so what are, what are my, Robin, yes. Yeah. What about your nutshell thoughts? My nutshell thoughts. Um, I thought this movie was an absolute riot. I, I, kind of went into it feeling like it was going to be big and I was just going to roll with it. Um, and it, and it was, it was big and it was fun and it was totally, I think intentionally campy. Not everybody agrees with me. Um, I mean, how could it not be campy when you've got Lady Gaga doing her, her best Natasha, like, I don't know what that, accent is and i don't give a someone, shit someone described it as count chocula and yeah. just, <laughs> no i think it's like natasha like like boris and natasha um that's uh -huh, what it felt uh -huh. like to me which is fine i didn't give a shit it to me it's like i'm not italian so what do i know it sounded italianish whatever and my husband who is a sicilian american agreed with me and did really enjoy this movie um and then yeah, you I actually could care less about the Exactly. <laughs> I'm not a dialogue like I'm not a dialect coach who gives a shit. And I whatever Jared Leto's doing, I mean, he's clearly playing this person as Mario Mario. Like there's no oh, other yeah. explanation. <laughs> it's it's definitely Luigi. Yeah, or Luigi or Wario, like whatever. Um <laughs> it's he's he's doing a Nintendo character, and I was here for it. I was just into the story. I wanted to know what was happening. Like their romance it totally drew me in. And part of it is because you've got this like hot stuff played by Lady Gaga, you know, Patrizia Reggiano. And she's this, you know, like quote unquote from the wrong side of tracks, chick, 70s, you know, disco lady meets this absolute like seven foot 10 nerd played by <laughs> Adam Driver. 
and totally seduces him. And I have like a bit of a nerd corruption kink. So like this was, I was all about this. I was all about this tiny curvy woman sucking this like ant into her orbit. And I was just, I just really enjoyed that. And my husband and I loved, uh, there's like this very funny scene that we'll talk about later, um, which was like, a, I guess they're the first time they make love. I hate the, that expression. That's disgusting. The first time they fuck basically. And that was such a great scene. And we'll talk about why, but um, my husband and I were just like laughing our asses off. And we love this movie so much that I have convinced him that we're going to go as Maurizio and Patrizia for Halloween this year because my husband is very tall oh me. <laughs> and I am like I have a lot of personality so it's perfect I'm gonna go as Patrizia um but yeah I just thought it was really fun like is it a great movie like you're saying Michael like is this a great movie with a capital G I don't know I mean the the script is pretty silly but I was laughing I was having a good time like the theater was erupting alongside me so clearly people were having a good time um I don't know, just why do we have to take movies so seriously? Like the movie, I don't think takes itself that seriously. Lady Gaga is no idiot. She knows what she's doing. She's basically like reinvented camp for the millennial generation in some respects. So I think she, I think she's knows exactly what she's doing here and people are having a good time watching it, you know? So I, I, yeah. I defend this movie. I think you'll have some uh, some defenders along with you. So good. I'm shocked that all of us liked it. You know, if Brian were here, he would just be tearing it down like one by one, which is fine. And that's one of the reasons I love Brian is because I, he and I can absolutely spar. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe this means I'm like super commercial or something, or I'm just like oh boy, a mainstream idiot. <laughs> like that's what I keep thinking. Is like I maybe I just have no taste. And I just love gaudiness and pearls and I don't know, Maurizio just devolving. Like, I don't know, I just really enjoyed this this movie. And yes, it was too long, I agree. Um, so I don't know, what do you guys, like what, what stood out to you? Like, you know, I, I guess I just like loved the fashion. Um, I love the performances, but you know, am I missing something else here? Well, so I, yeah, I heard a couple... I heard a couple of things about this. Um, I did hear that the Gucci kind of like all of the wardrobes and everything like that, they basically got the rights from Gucci to basically go into their warehouse and like actually pick out the clothing and maybe reproduce it or just use it in the film. So, you know, that's one of the things. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, super fashion forward and you know i wouldn't fucking know the difference if it was or wasn't but it definitely did look a lot of a lot of the suits are kind of fairly plain but you know uh the belt buckles and the purses and some of the outfits um there's one moment when lady gaga puts on like a white uh business suit kind of power suit that was just absolutely stunning and you know it's funny because a lot of people have noticed that like fashion comes in like cycles and I guess, you know, 30, 40 year cycles or something like that. And like, if she wore that outfit right now, I, I think everybody would just be like, that looks great. And not like 
that looks like us from the eighties, you know, mm-hmm. um, a timelessness. So I, yeah. I think, I think there's something interesting about that. Um, but no, I, I really appreciated, uh, this, the, look of this film um apparently they did film this in uh, you know out in uh italy and different parts and stuff like that um which is you know crazy because they were definitely making this during covid and it's just like really you you just wouldn't go you know maybe it's not worth it right now maybe we should just put this off for a little bit and they were just like nah steam ahead (laughs) so uh you know uh and you know, I I hear that Ridley Scott is is a fairly straightforward filmmaker. Um, he's very efficient with his time. I mean, that's one of the reasons why he has two films releasing in the same year, um, with both of them with uh, Adam Driver. If Adam I'm Driver, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention. The, the other thing I wanted to mention was there is a early sequence and, and Robin kind of touched on it, but this is really like the seduction of Maurizio Gucci, who, who's played by Adam Driver. And there's a scene early on when they kind of have their meet cute where she's like, do you dance? And he goes, no. And in the film, he doesn't fucking dance. He just kind of stays there. (laughs) And she is just like grinding up on him, like into him. And part of it is just because he dropped the name Gucci. And all of a sudden, like, she was just like, fuck. Oh, okay. Like, I don't know if she was already into him and the Gucci name just you know, did it over or if it was the combination of the two, I'm not sure, but regardless, she became quickly infatuated with him and he seemed so put off and so just kind of like, well, not put off, but just kind of like interested from a, a distant perspective. Like Mm -hmm. he was almost having like an out of body experience. It seemed where he was just kind of noncommittal to the situation, but observing and having fun a little bit and going along with it. But definitely like she is the one that like put her hooks in him and like took him on a ride in a lot of ways. And so I just found the early sequences of them uh, just really, really interesting. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, that's, that's yeah. what I want to say, just kind of to start. Um, I completely agree with that. And I think that that's almost like the beauty in both of their performances. Because first, one of the things I think is hilarious is that Adam Driver, who I think has, you know, for the past few years, has been like one of, Hollywood's like leading men very much know that half of like, you know, millennial thirst after him playing this guy. Me, it's me. Like, <laughs> so me as well, like, you know, playing this guy that is like, we're supposed to believe is so aloof and so unaware of like the way he looks. Like, you know, when she asked him on, um, she asked him on that date and he's like, you want to like ask me on a date? And it's like, you're not that. We as Adam, you know yourself as Adam Driver, it's like you're not shocked. But I really do believe him in the movie as being like somehow completely, completely unaware about like how attractive he is. And then Gaga, I think is so brilliant because she, 
keeps you guessing throughout the entire movie. Even as you know, she's kind of being like calculating and manipulative. You kind of never know like, how you said in like that moment at the very beginning where it's like you can tell that she perfects when he says his last name is Gucci, but you really don't know if it was only that that was driving her or if that was kind of like right. a sticking thing. And you kind of like, she's so good at kind of like playing in this moment where it's like she's, you clearly know that she's has an agenda and she is like on that, you know, she is making calculations. She's making moves to like get to where she wants, but she still like really does like make you believe that there is a part of that is really, really actually also in love with this man and very invested in like helping him like take what is his. And it's not just coming from her own selfishness. And I think it's like such a like tricky balance to do, but she does it so well. I agree. And I think what you're pointing at is so interesting to me because I was really trying to figure out, exactly what you're getting at here which is like what is her end game and I truly believe that she is attracted to him uh and it's not like like the Gucci thing intrigues her but I think and maybe I'm just reading into this because I'm like seeing myself in other places but I love I love being attracted to men who are good looking but other people don't realize it like I want to be the special yeah. one that sees the hot in this other guy and then people would be like wait that guy is kind of hot like or like oh like she's with him huh um and maybe that just goes to show that I just have like taste in weirdos or something but I I want to be with somebody that like I am the one who sees the special a part of them and I don't know maybe that's controlling or maybe that's like again the nerd corruption thing but like I was just into whatever like hot chemistry that these two people had and part of it is Lady Gaga is like an absolutely minuscule person and Adam Driver completely towers over her and I just really like that contrast um it is truly like the opposite of track personality wise, but also like literally physically, you cannot get any much, much different than that. Exactly. She's five foot two. She's one foot I know, I should know that because isn't that the name of her like movie, Five <laughs> Foot Two? Yeah. But also, she like looks quite thick in this movie, and I was really into that. Um, I don't know if she like. Mm-hmm put on weight or something but I, I don't mean that in a bad way I mean like she's got the TNA and it's pretty perfect um so I don't know but I also I love Adam Driver I mean like you're saying thirst trap I've been into him since girls like and and he was like a really creepazoid in that show but yeah. I just loved it um so yeah I don't know do you think Adam Driver is hot Bill uh yeah i mean he he ever since he took his shirt off in the last jedi i was just like fuck okay i get it now (laughs) like you know and and it's so funny because it all throughout the the first film uh um we're what was it? Force Awakens. Um, every time he took his helmet off, I always loved it because his hair was perfect and it looked like it had just came out of like, you know, a, a blow dryer and everything like that. And you're just like, 
What what you got going on in that helmet, man? Like that is not helmet hair. That is like beautiful, luscious, <laughs> just locks that are just hidden under there. I guess I guess the helmet is a lot larger than you think it is, maybe. So it's not compressing or it doing anything goofy to the hair. Um, but no, that's he's, the force he's... power, dude. Like the <laughs> yeah. force is keeping him shiny. <laughs> maybe that's Swab. part of his his constant concentration is just like keeping his hair perfect under the helmet that's great i like that i like that i'll take that um <laughs> but no I, I i mean he's it's hard to say that he isn't uh attractive but i also know that some people don't find him all that attractive which you know it, it is what it is like some people <laughs> just uh, what i was like i think he's a very acquired taste but once you acquire it it's very strong <laughs> <laughs> i'll go with that yeah um, but you know, enough about Adam Driver. Let's talk about Jared Leto because he's definitely the, <laughs> the person that I think a lot of people are going to be talking about uh surrounding this film. And honestly, I think your your ability to accept Leto, whether you know it's Leto or not, this character and like roll with it is going to very much affect how you see this film because if you can roll with with paulo you can roll with this film if you reject that then this film is going to be pretty unsufferable because gaga is giving a very large performance uh al pacino's not as much but he's definitely giving an, a large performance as well um and so like everything's just kind of hovering around Paulo in a lot of ways. Um, there are a couple of long sequences with him where you really have to like buy into this stuff. Um, and he is really like just a caricature. Um, and he's going for it in a way that like makes me almost not forgive him for all the bullshit that he's done on set, but like, it finally seems like this is a good use of of that kind of stuff where it's just like okay he's just gonna go bananas and i guess you just set back and just go go for it man like keep it coming you know um so yeah how did y'all feel about lita i mean i completely second that you know i my feelings about here like over the years are up and down you know i find myself a lot genuinely annoyed by a lot of the stuff that he says but i think it says a lot that when the quote kind of like started circulating around a couple of days ago about how he prepared for his role in house of gucci by like injecting or like snorting a rabiata sauce and <laughs> all that is like crazy yeah. and it's truly the most like i quote I've ever read and it's the kind of thing that I normally would be like of course Jared's like annoying us and saying this <laughs> but this time I was like I'm obsessed with this because I am so in love with that performance it is the biggest performance I have seen not only this year but probably like in the past like half decade and it is so like unapologetically like he does not care at all how just True. completely like silly and crazy he looks and I like love that willingness to just completely like play up every single thing on such an inherently foolish character. I think part of it is that he's so buried like under prosthetics that I feel like it probably was very easy for him to lose himself in that because he is literally unrecognizable. I want to 
see the movie the, a second time with my friend who afterwards was like, apparently somehow did not know that that was Jared Leto the whole time. <laughs> it was a whole time we were watching and I was like, yes, that was him, but he looked so different. And I think he allows, like, help, uses that to help himself just completely like go into, you know, yeah, what we said, this completely like full, like super Mario character that is just, like you said, a caricature. He's like an SNL sketch comes to like life in a film. And I agree with the idea where if you're able to go along with that performance, because the movie is so camp, like the movie is its best when it's at its like largest. And Jared is that film's largest character. And so it's like, if you can accept that, everything else, like in comparison, I feel like would be a, like an easy swallow. Because he is like the big thing to really get over it. I would fully behind it. I couldn't agree with you more about that. And you know, I think I was thinking during the movie, like I absolutely believe this guy was on a retreat in February, 2020 and did not know COVID was happening until like a month later. Cause I think that was like, he was like one of the very few people on this planet that had no idea what the pandemic was. Cause he like emerged from some fucking like desert bullshit being like, what's up guys. <laughs> what's up? I just really believed that as I was watching it. Um, he's such, such an interesting career. I mean, first of all, I think he's a complete douche. Like the stuff that yeah. I hear about him and his treatment of his female fans and some of the, the creepy shit that he does, like, I can't condone that, um, nor do I want to. And that's also just like weird that he won an Oscar for playing a trans woman. Like, yeah. like I can't unsee that. Um, but it doesn't mean that I can't appreciate some of his performances. He, I go back and forth with him. Um, I was definitely not one of those people that was into him during the, um, the, my so-called life phase. And I, what's the name of his character again? Like, um, Jordan Castellano. Or, thank you. Well, what is yes. Yeah. Jordan Castellano. <laughs> um, oh, another Italian. Yay. <laughs> I was just, I always thought he was kind of greasy, and I feel like this just that has been my uh, my takeaway from from Jared Leto is that he's just like he's like greasy um, since the nineties, and I don't like I listened to his band for a little while in college, which I guess also shows. Tomorrow, yeah. Yes, thank you. I see. I don't even remember any of it. Like I must have lost that music at some point. I have no. So like this is my sort of you know. It's hard for me to be like, I love this performance just because I feel like that's just, that's me. That's me watching um, like Braveheart and being like, wow, Mel Gibson was amazing. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I can't in good conscience say that, but right. I wouldn't be mad if he got an Oscar nomination because I feel like that's the Academy accepting the bigness of this performance. Like if you are out Al Pacinoing Al Pacino, You've got a lot going on. I mean, like the chemistry between Al Pacino and Jared Leto, I think was just the scenes between those two, I think were some of my favorite just because they both were willing to go for it. Obviously, you know, Jared was going for it a lot more, but they both, I feel like, bounced off of each other so well. I love like, the part when, um, uh, Al Pacino's like, or his character is like getting out of jail and like, tapping him on the shoulder at the airport and he doesn't realize that he's like yelling on the phone trying to find where he's at and oh, he's just God. tapping him while he's sitting there. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I agree. It's hard. I mean, Jared is such a complicated person that particularly, you know, within the past, you know, decade, I have very much struggled, you know, to see, because I mean, some things I like, some things I don't, but it's been hard just because he is just such a person where stories are always coming out, but I always, and I thought his casting was so funny because he has been one of like the most consistent, like muses, I guess, so to speak, of Gucci under Gucci's like current creative director. Mm-hmm. So I was like, how funny is it now that he's like doing this promo tour, continuing to wear like the stuff that he's always worn because he's so close with the Gucci house anyway. I didn't know um, that. That's like an extra yeah. layer. It is. It's very, yeah, it's very, he like literally when Alessandro came on, like, you know, it's been about six years now. He was like, Jared Leo is one of the first people that he kind of like fucked with as celebrity muses. And a lot of them have come and gone, but like Jared has literally been there up until now, like from the beginning and it's still there. Uh, and also on that, I was going to bring up that um, as far as like the, we were talking about it earlier, the costuming coming from Gucci, it was because Salma Hayek, obviously, who plays uh, the psychic in the movie, is married to yeah. Francois, <laughs> who, like, owns, who owns the business that owns Gucci. And so when she got involved, apparently she basically took it right to him. And that's kind of why it was a very easy thing for them to uh, get the rights to do it. Pina. It all um, comes back to Pina. Orchestrating everything behind me. <laughs> I have to say, I was hella mad because I read an article that like one of the dialect coaches on the film thought that Selma Hayek did like the most amazing accent <laughs> and that Lady Gaga sounded Russian. And I was like, fuck you. That is like not accurate at all. Oh Selma God, Hayek. Did- <laughs> your work. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like Selma Hayek sounded like Selma Hayek to me. And Lady Gaga sounded like a beautiful Italian countess that I want to be and not a mob wife. Fuck off, everybody. But then it was like, also, it was like, everyone sounded so different anyway that it was like, I literally, it took me maybe about 10 minutes into the film to like forget about like accents. I was like, this is like this is clearly not something that they were trying to <laughs> And so I'm I'm willing to suspend my disbelief for a second and just go with it. And I had I will say I had a lot more fun not nitpicking the accent because who has the time? Yeah, well, I, th- I think one thing that's interesting, and uh, I was listening to a podcast uh reviewing this film, and they were talking about how you know it, this is such a a kind of a throwback where, I mean, if this film had any gumption about trying to like portray this in a real way, they would not be speaking English. They would be speaking Italian. Right, right? exactly. So, so, you know, this idea that, you know, oh, they have goofy accents and it's like, but they're fucking speaking English. So it doesn't fucking matter anyways. Like, what are we doing? Right. You know, right. so it's like, right. you know, you're nitpicking something that's like, obviously asking to be like no we want you to overlook that aspect of it yeah we're gonna go with some goofy ass you know italian accents and we're gonna hire maybe non-italian american actors to portray some of these characters and it's just like everybody will be okay and everything is gonna be fine um but no i i think i think it is interesting um the 
the other thing that I want to kind of talk about is just the way this film kind of shows a a very interesting story and i think i think we can go ahead and jump into spoilers at this point Woo! um we've we've been talking for about you know 40 minutes or so um one thing that i think is really interesting is this film really takes late uh lady gaga's character patrizia for a ride like this is a journey for her and maruzio as well but i think one thing that's so interesting is that she very much becomes kind of power mad in this film and is pushing maruzio to to take back his his kind of legacy his family's name um you know come into the company uh which he has like no gumption about like leaving flat out to the point where he literally shows up at her parents doorstep with luggage and is like i want to marry your daughter but also i have no job and i'm studying to be a lawyer and it's just like what a fucking proposal you know um but i think what's so funny is that she pushes him and pushes him and pushes him until he starts to push back and when he pushes back it's because she's become so overbearing she's kind of created her own monster in a way where he finally embraces his role within the company and realizes that he maybe can do better and then creates her own little monster that basically, you know, shuts her away. So yeah, I, I, I found that really fascinating and such a like tragic story to kind of behold to observe because you know it seemed like and he confesses he's he's like this is the happiest i've ever been working for your father's company like having nothing to do with the gucci name well yeah i mean i i think that in the uh you know in the earlier part of the film we definitely get that energy where he has kind of distanced himself from the family business has, you know, chosen a career study path that, you know, will put him doing something completely different. He doesn't have any, you know, particular interest in kind of doing that. And particularly, you know, we have Paolo on the other side who's fighting his way in and can't get in. And then we have Mauricio who is there and just seemingly doesn't really necessarily have any ties to that at all. But, and I think I like the idea that he does show up to the house, you know, and that he does get kind of like sent away because I think in that moment, we do get a moment to actually believe in the love because obviously Patricia takes him in and she accepts him. And, you know, even though he doesn't have the Gucci name technically at that point, but as soon as, you know, she gets the call from the uncle, she's like, this is my chance to kind of get back in. And I think that that kind of does start the downward trajectory where it's like, you see in the very beginning, she's like, if I can just get there, I can do all of this. And then we get to the moment where obviously, again, as you said, he pushes back and pushes back and pushes back until eventually he becomes the person she wants him to be. And then it turns back around on her because he doesn't have space for her anymore. I mean, to me, this is a story of a woman who is trying to just get her peace. 
and her husband is you know putting up obstacles constant constant obstacles and all she wants him to do is to be his best and then when she finally creates the man he is supposed to be he betrays her so fuck Maurizio I'm I'm glad the company pushed him out <laughs> I'm definitely team Patricia developing I mean I think it is so and yeah, and I love I love the karmic, you know, feeling of the fact that literally the person that she was warning him about the night where they had the fight that the movie suggests is like, you know, the last straw. Because that's, you know, when she's trying to warn him about Domenico, that's, you know, when he gets upset the next day, it's like, I'm sending the car for you. That it does end up being Domenico. And the first thing he says is, he was right about you. I'm, I like, that was great because of course, obviously I'm on Patricia's side and I'm like, I love seeing you get your just desserts. I love, you know, that kind of idea that he really is betrayed by the person he refused to listen to her when he stopped listening to her on that one point, that that gets the point that ends up sticking to him. And I love that. But obviously it's devastating on both ends, but ends that they both end up in. But um, I do like that idea. And I feel like it's horrible the way that Mauricio kind of just shakes her off when he's done and i kind of i think that that we get to the character of paula Franchi, you know and kind of her as this like silent killer because you see how he's i think mauricio is so head over hills for patricia in the first half of the film and then as soon as she arrives to you know the snow like mountains or whatever you can see how much the kind of way he used to adore her has immediately soured, you know, now suddenly he's like laughing at her, you know, like kind of nouveau riche way that she talks, you know, it's like, it's not at the top floor of the Eiffel Tower. It's like, they just want to hear about the macaroons. (laughs) Yeah. They just want to hear about the macaroons. And it's like, suddenly I was like, in that moment, it's like, who is this Mauricio? Like, this is not the Mauricio we've been watching. And so it's like, I have to be like, it's, Paula, that's the silent killer. As soon as she got there, she did something to him that completely changed the way that he saw Patricia. And so honestly, I'm like, she's the sneaky one that we really have to be watching out for. I know. my One of my favorite scenes in the film, maybe this because I'm like actually a terrible mean Lady Macbeth myself, but at the very, very end of the film, um, after, after Patricia has Maurizio killed via hitman, uh, and she plays the morning wife. She shows up at his penthouse, his fancy ass place, the kind of place that she would have loved to live in when they were married uh, that he's been sharing with Paula now for several years. She shows up and she's like, gives her a hug and is like, get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> and kicks her out. I know. And it's funny. And we can laugh about it. And like, it's a great scene. And you're just like, yeah, you go girl. Like you murderess. And and then in real life, like that did really happen. And right. Paola was kicked out of the house for a couple of years. And she had a couple of kids too from a previous marriage. And I think later on, one of Paola's real life kids like uh, died by suicide. So I'm like, oh, you know, what works well cinematically right. <laughs> does yeah. not work well in real life. Uh, and so I have to acknowledge, like I am laughing at, you know, these very real things that happen to real people. Um, I mean, they work from a filmic level, uh, knowing that this woman really did have this man killed. You know, I could certainly 
can't laugh at that. Um, yeah. No, um, oh, sorry. Are you going to say? I was going to say, you know, this kind of goes back to a conversation I had with some some of our listeners on on our Slack channel talking about um, the favorite. So the the uh, one of the was it Oscar winning? I think I think uh, some people won yeah, some Oscars uh, for uh, that. Olivia Olivia Coleman won for yeah her, yeah uh, exactly. Yeah, she uh, she beat out Glenn Close. Where in a lot and of people Gaga, talk, actually. Yeah. Oh, it, was that was that a that was a star born? Oh, yeah, wow. yeah. Okay. And they'll yes. probably be going against each other again this year. I'm assuming. <laughs> so that'll um, be. But you know that film is a loose adaptation of kind of the history of of that particular queen, right? And a lot of people were kind of lobbing bombs at that and saying, you know, well, it's, it's not, you know, 100% factual and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it just kind of runs into this idea that, and I think the film starts in a clever way where it says something like, this is not a, a, Oh no, I'm I'm confusing this with uh with another movie I just watched, which is the harder they fall. Uh, sorry. Um, but it, this film is definitely not a documentary, right? And I think we have to be very aware and very observant of the fact that, like, even if this is a based on a biography, right? Even if that is the case, that doesn't mean that everything in that biography is necessarily true either, right? Like there is no perfect yeah. history because history is always going to be told from one perspective and there's always two or three or four different perspectives to anything that happens in life, right? Um, so right. I think I think we have to be careful about that kind of stuff and either accept it for what it is or reject it. And I think for the most part, I'm definitely on the accept it for what it is kind of side of things where I'm not going to start you know, nitpicking it because, you know, I, I just don't want to. This, this in a lot of ways is meant to be entertainment. And ultimately that's what I took away from it. But, you know, when, when you start talking about some of the things that happened to like Paula, uh, Paulo, Paula, um, and, and, you know, the other thing that we have to remember is just the joke and and the hilarity that is, you know, Jared Leto's performance. And, you know, that is very, like, potentially offensive for <laughs> the guy that totally. he's portraying, right? And, right. You know, it's one of those things where you're just like, okay, so, like, what are, what are we doing with that? And I think in a lot of ways we just have to go it just kind of is what it is and i think that's why jared leto gets away with this kind of stuff uh in terms of how over top he's portraying this character is because he is supposed to be buffoonish right we are supposed to kind of laugh at this character and i think there is something sweet but also just something like just sad about the fact that like he just keeps pushing for this dream of his despite having all the wealth in the world and all of this other stuff he 
he feels like he's he's you know uh an undiscovered gem and i think one of the the best lines of this film is when he tells his father he he has like this emotional speech he's telling his father that he's going to use these tax documents to basically screw him over and he wants to scare him into giving him the 50% of the company and basically say you know you're old you're a dinosaur you need to let the younger generation kind of take over and i think he says something along the lines of You've been holding me back. I want to be free. I want to fly like a pigeon. And you're just like... <laughs> and, you know, it's funny because uh, Paulo and another famous character in history, Mike Tyson, are like pigeon fans. Like, they just love pigeons. And I guess there's something noble in like finding some kind of beauty and these creatures that a lot of people just can't stand right it would like pigeons just yeah i think one film uh i think it was an animated film but i'm sure they're not the reason that this is a thing but you know a lot of people call them rats with wings and stuff like that like people don't really like pigeons and for someone to say you know you're keeping me from flying free like a pigeon. It just seems like you would choose a majestic creature instead of a pigeon. And so that, that juxtaposition is just so beautiful and so weird and just so like, I don't know, Paulo, but it definitely feels like a piece of his character. Like, it just seems like he's, <laughs> he's like, that seems very true to life. I don't know if that's a quote from him or something like that. Like it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if that's an actual quote from him. Who doesn't love a garbage chicken? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when, when you know, I, I completely, I mean, like, again, like when it comes to Jared's performance, I wrote a review on the movie. And one of the things that I, praise come about is that I felt that it was like obviously it is like the largest kind of hammiest performance but I think like kind of as you touched upon it works so much for this character that in from what we were to assume in the real life dynamic of the Gucci family he was kind of the laughing stock and I think it was so funny that because there was so willing to kind of like ham it up it almost made this character more pitiable than like he would have necessarily been which i think works so much because you really this person who is like you know kind of like hated and despised by a lot of members of his family who just kind of see him as useless or the way that Jeremy irons this character described him as like a triumph of mediocrity <laughs> um that you know him being making all of these being a foolish character probably written as it on the page, but they're completely willing to bring out that foolishness in the most foolish way possible. Almost had like this inverse reaction of like actually making him so compelling because you really do get drawn into just kind of like how sad this person is. I like described him as like a Saturday Night Live like take on like Kendall Roy from Succession, like you know, as this like fail son, you know, that like really does keep trying to do what he can to kind of like step in and like take over and like really have an impact but keeps just being like pushed back by everyone else that's like there to kind of like keep something and down but he's like so persistent in this like way that you can't help but like feel for him in like a very odd way even if like as you're being like 
yeah, maybe he doesn't have talent, but for some reason, I still want him to get something because it's just so bad, but also hilarious to watch. And yeah, it's like that kind of like balance also seems to kind of like be the most quintessential like high point of the tone that the film ever reached with like with kind of like dealing with something that's like serious. And again, like this is like a sad story about like a person who really has these big dreams that he just can't seem to execute or to put into motion despite having seemingly every, you know, resource at his disposal. But then also it's just the funniest thing you've ever seen because it's just like here he is like pissing on like a spilled Gucci scarf, you know, or just like running around like screaming, you know, and it's just the craziest thing. So was it just me or did I kind of, did anybody else feel that Adam Driver was like the least interesting performance in this movie? I think he's got flash. I think he's got flashes. I think I think there's a very important sequence early on in the film when he confronts his father that really kind of allowed me to sink in and enjoy his performance, but also his character's storyline. Because to this point, like Lady Gaga's character has like flirted with him and like been the aggressor in their relationship by far, right? And he just seems kind of like a bumbling idiot in a lot of ways. And his father confronts him after they he meets uh Patrizia and is kind of charmed by her in a way and you know, she very much seems like she's trying to not impress him, but like win him over. Uh, she seems to be putting off forth her, her best effort in that way. And I think what's interesting is they have this kind of confrontation while he's watching old films of himself. And he basically says that he doesn't want to be stuck in the past. He wants to move forward and he wants to be with Patrizia. And he has this very emotional kind of like sequence and scene where you've never really seen him express that he really loves Patrizia to this point. You you see that he's enjoying being around her, but he almost seems like he's, like I said, he almost seems like he's kind of having an out-of-body experience. And his father mentions that he's had other suitors approach him before that basically were after his money, right? And so in this way, you start to realize the reason that maybe Maurizio is has this kind of distant relationship with, with Lady Gaga's character and maybe even just women in general is because he's gone through this kind of whole up and down, up and down, up and down thing where he thinks he's, you know, fallen in love because, you know, the woman potentially is, you know, giving it her all, but, you know, with, with the means towards, you know, success and money and everything else on the other side of it. Um, so, I can see why he would have maybe a detached kind of relationship, at least at first, until he really sees that this is, you know, something long term. Um, 
But yeah, I, I think he gives a hell of a performance in that one sequence that really kind of won me over that showed that Maurizio actually has passion and actually has like desires and actually cares. Um, he was kind of playing a very one note character to that point. Um, and I think over the course of the film, he starts to show more and more of his personality. Um, and so I think that's important to kind of, uh, and yes, it's, it's very easy to be overshadowed by a performance from Al Pacino or Lito or Gaga or, you know, any number of his, his other co-stars and things like that. Um, but no, I, I think he's giving a very, very measured performance that ends up revealing more as it goes along. Yeah. Yeah. I would have to agree with you though. I don't think that I would at all describe his performance as being the least interesting. I think I would definitely like without a doubt say it's the smallest, you know, like most kind of straight laced performance in the cast. But I think that for his character, I don't think he's nothing about his character is really broadly comedic or, and then even, you know, like Patricia is not necessarily broadly comedic, but she obviously has a lot more, you know, she is like a tough cookie kind of like, there's a lot more to do. Like the whole thing I think think with Mauricio is really kind of until that final stretch when he kind of like starts to do kind of the heel turn. I think he, his whole thing is being like a meek lawyer who kind of is very, again, like aloof and like not, you know, super attached or invested in anything. And so kind of, I think he does a very good job of playing into what is a character that kind of really doesn't have much of a personality. He kind of really is a cipher. And I think Adam does very well to like present him as such, which I think is a very smart character choice. And I think it works so well because when he does have the heel turn in like the second half of the not the second half of the film, but you know, kind of the end of the film, it kind of, it's such a stark contrast that you can kind of like really feel that and it kind of really hammers in the idea that as we were talking about earlier, Patricia has essentially created a monster because we're able to look back and like be like what was essentially this very meek, innocent, like child-like figure has now kind of like, you know, descended into madness. And it's like now like buying multiple Lamborghinis, palatial homes, and, you know, just like throwing everything around, kicking his wife out, like not care. Like, it was, I think we kind of need to see that continuous growth to kind of have that in the, at the end, really be that more effective. So I think he did great. I mean, I think again, not just because Adam Driver is hot, but I think he really has a very, <laughs> a huge like movie star charisma where even at the beginning when he is playing this very, you know, again, muted character compared to everyone around him, I still was never bored with him on the screen. I think he did a very good job, you know, still glasses of kind of like still being captivated even as he was doing the best he could with what was very deliberately supposed to be a comparatively smaller character to, you know, these huge personalities around him. Mm -hmm. I, I think that maybe, maybe I was just coming at it from the sense that maybe driver looked a little bored to me on screen. Like I, I'm not saying I was bored by him per se, but that he, some of his line delivery seemed like a little too subdued compared to the tone of the film. 
um and at some points it's like his accent started to waver um, i don't really care if you do an accent or not but just make it consistent <laughs> like you're, you're doing it the same in kind of every scene um so i i i think that was really it for me not i think adam driver is a wonderful actor so i'm never just i'm never gonna be like oh wow he sucked um i just felt like he was the if everybody else was being the most he was being the least in some ways yeah. um and, but and i also I think, yeah i was gonna say i feel like some of that might you know could be some of that blame could be placed on ridley scott who i think because i think a lot of them seemed like they were acting in different movies which i don't necessarily know is the fault of the actor as much right. as kind of like Ridley's ability to kind of get everyone on the same tone. Yeah. Um, and I think that kind of given that I, what I did appreciate about the individual performances that it really did seem like each actor decided what was going to work best for their character, even if it didn't necessarily mess with the other one. Like, I, you know, like you said, like Jared, completely in a league of his own as far as how big his character was but it worked so well where he was dealing with scenes so even if it was like overshadowing that's what he decided he was gonna do and i kind of appreciate that but like obviously i think like maybe a better director or kind of like someone who was like trying to keep this like you know in a more kind of serious mode and not serious as in like not light and sunny but like you know not just as all over the place as i thought this movie was at certain points might have been able to kind of like help balance those tones whereas i think that kind of like that kind of incongruence that you might be kind of like hinting at as far as like the fact that yeah it does seem like that sometimes in a different movie but i suppose that's also the character and that kind of it would have been weird i'm trying to imagine what a mauricio who was like you know campier would look like and i i don't really know i don't know what it would look like did um I don't know I had also just seen the last duel like the week before so I was kind of in like Adam Driver intense mode and then seeing him mm-hmm. in Adam Driver wimp mode may have just uh recalibrated him a little too much for me um but god was he so hot in the last duel or was it just me no I mean I <laughs> I really I really like the last duel honestly um which I feel bad, obviously, that I didn't do as well at the box office, but I'm also, like, really making those comments about it. Being yeah, just the millennials. <laughs> just like, does he, <laughs> he doesn't like, realize that millennials are, like, basically in our 40s. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. we're, <laughs> like, the oldest millennials are 45 or whatever. And I was funny when that's... that happened. I was saying when that happened, I was like, you know, you say that, but I was like, you're literally about to put out another movie. And I was like predicting, I was like, it's going to be huge. And it's, but then it's not going to be about the data millennials. Like, what, what's the excuse going to be then when this turns out to be huge? It's going to be because like the casting was smart and it was just a more like smartly marketed movie. I'm like, that's, you can't blame your film flopping on data millennials. Like, that's not our fault. <laughs> Nobody asked. I mean, listen, I actually like this genre, but but nobody is asking for medieval rape movies. Like, I like Rashomon. I like The Virgin Spring. Not necessarily looking to do that on a date night. 
Yeah. Right. Even right. when you said that star Jody Comer and Adam Driver. <laughs> right. I mean, can we just like, I don't know, not going to say it here, but um, yeah, that movie was interesting. And also just Matt Damon, truly the ugliest I've ever seen him, <laughs> which was great. Cause usually he's such like a, like a, his whole thing was being a hottie with a body at least 20 years ago. So it was kind of nice to see him go for the full ago. Um, but yeah, I mean, this talk about a tale of two, two directors in one. Um, right. Oh God. <laughs> the tonal, like, the, such a different tone. I know. Come out in such yeah, close and, and really is crazy. I, I think that is interesting because, yeah, like, if you think about it in a lot of ways, I'm trying to think who else can go this gonzo and also be this serious as he is. And I think it's someone else of, of his same kind of caliber, and that's Scorsese, who can be. <laughs> but it's. It's rare for Scorsese to be playing in that wheelhouse, I think. Um, but Scorsese definitely does it. I mean, you know, um, he's he's made The Wolf of Wall Street, which is just gonzo bananas. Like, and that film is is actually not long enough <laughs> in, in my estimation. <laughs> like I'd, I'd, I'd show up for another 30 minutes of that film. Um, TV sure series. Yeah, I'm not sure if there's a director's cut or anything like that, but uh, but no, I, I think I think that's interesting. But no, I think I think in a lot of ways, this film would get out of control if it didn't have drivers Maurizio kind of at right. center so that he can be the son that everybody else kind of orbits around right like he's he's the serious thing he's the thing that you know you don't fuck with because otherwise you burn up or whatever like you can you can throw whatever metaphor you want at it but I think this is this story kind of revolves around him in a lot of ways. And I know I said that a little bit about Paulo as well, but um, I think the tone of the film revolves around Paulo because if you can't get on board with that, then you're fucking lost. But I think Maurizio's character is kind of the heart and soul of this film. And it's to see the quiet corruption of him. uh, That is kind of the, the tragedy of it in a lot of ways. And I feel like he has to be kind of a grounding force um, because as he gets bigger and as he gets broader, that's when things start to feel like they're getting out of control. Right. When he starts taking power, it's like, oh, fuck, like maybe this isn't what we wanted after all. Right. Definitely. Yeah, I would agree. I would say that kind of like, all, you know, I had a few gripes with the film, and I would say that one of the things that you were getting at, you know, as you were saying that there was Paolo, who at certain times felt like the center of the film, and there was also, you know, Mauricio, but then at the same time, it seems like I believe that's about Patricia. I felt that that was one of the things that I had an issue script-wise sometimes, was that the movie really didn't seem to have, like, kind of a full like central force and it kind of bopped around in a way that I could somewhat understand because obviously the film is covering a lot of information and it's like trying to talk about a lot of different things it's not just the story of like the romance between Patricia and Mauricio it's not just the story of like how we get to the death of Mauricio it's also the story about Gucci 
of a company and you know there's a lot going on but i Tom think Ford. i kind of right <laughs> they're Tom Ford. Um, and i feel like that was kind of some some of the points where i feel like the movie felt like it was losing control of itself because it didn't decide in the beginning that the movie is going to kind of really constantly revolve around this person. We're going to bump around and it's going to feel a little topsy-turvy at times. And I feel kind of like sometimes I want it that kind of central force. I think that one of the things that I talked a lot about um, in the piece I wrote about the film is that I think that at the, towards the end of the film, once Mauricio and um, Patricia have broken up, I think that there's kind of a moment where we do really kind of switch into the story about Mauricio's, like, you know, trying to do whatever he's doing at Gucci. Um, and we kind of cast Patricia to the side for a bit. And I feel like that in that moment kind of seems like the least interesting of the film. Like, I mean, obviously, like, you know, like the little moments seeing Anna Wintour and Tom, you know, Ford or whatever, like, were funny, but. I think that I was kind of like, I found myself being like, what is Patricia like up to at this moment? And I feel like the beginning of the film had made us, connected us so much with the character of Patricia about the kind of like loose sight of her to kind of go explore something else that now doesn't involve her felt slightly weird. And I found myself being like, I want her back. And then when she comes back full bitch mode, you know, like talking with, you know, the with Pina, you know, and she's like, that's when I was like, yes, we're back. This is what I need. I like need that. And so I kind of like didn't necessarily think that the switching around of like focus and kind of like the lack of a clear central protagonist, so to speak, worked to the film's benefit. I think in some places it kind of worked to its detriment because it just kind of made it feel a little unfocused at times. I think there's like a beginning, like the beginning stretch, you know, kind of the meet cue and kind of like them falling in love, I think is so strong. Like I, I went to the screening that I went to, we had to watch the first like 10 minutes of the film three different times because there was sound issues. But I remember <laughs> wow. I, like, it was very, yeah, it was crazy. It was like literally at 1138 am like press screening and we were sitting there and it was just like it, it kept getting to like the part where they're because the first time we were watching it got to the part where they're at the club in their meeting and the vocals like the dialogue just got very muffled and at first i think a lot of us thought that that was a deliberate choice because when they were in a club we were like oh maybe that's like a stylistic choice you can't hear them talking because it's a club <laughs> and then we were like no this is weird <laughs> And we have to watch this three different times. And I remember each time, like, not even being upset because that, like, whole beginning, you know, like, watching Gaga, like, strut into, like, you know, the office, you know, and then, like, the whole club, like, it was so fun. And then I think at the beginning, and then I think it kind of starts to lose focus. And that's when I'm, like, starting to get, like, ooh, Ridley, what are you doing? Yeah, I, d I did notice some weird audio issues when they are in the club at first. And I thought that was very strange that every time it seemed like Adam Driver was talking, it seemed like they had dubbed him back in to the film um, because there would be background noise and then he would speak and there would be no background noise or, or maybe it was flipped. And it just seemed very, very interesting and odd. Um, I did notice some audio issues there. Um, I did want to bring up some, some criti criticisms, but also some, some kind of hanging threads that, um, 
I noticed that I didn't know if the film necessarily spelled out and kind of moved past really quickly. Um, one, there is, you know, a very important sequence when uh, the kind of lawyer of the family played by uh, Jack Houston, his name is Domenico. Yeah, Domenico. And he is, I believe he is not Aldo's uh, lawyer, um, but actually um, the lawyer of... Uh, uh, of Rodolfo. Um, and so this is someone that Maurizio would be very familiar with and kind of trust. And there's a sequence very, very early on when Lady Gaga's character is first introduced where she is having to basically not forge checks, but she is signing on behalf of her father uh, these checks so that she can pay the workers and do all this other stuff. I, th I think it's her and her brother that actually run the shop, or I can't remember because I feel like when we see her father outside of her house when uh, Adam Driver's character is proposing, I feel like that's that's our first introduction to that character. I can't remember, to be honest with you, though. Um, but uh, she is like hinted that she knows how to forge a signature or at least sign enough sign well enough that it can kind of pass as it and there's a very important scene when uh uh when rodolfo dies and adam driver's character is set to inherit all of this money and all of this stuff and he mentions something along the lines of well your father never actually signed over the estate to you. Domenico says that, I think, right? Yes, yeah, Domenico yeah. says okay. this. And he says, you know, your father never actually signed this very important document that would basically, I guess, uh, it's the inheritance tax. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know that this was this was a thing in uh, Italy as well. But there's there's definitely that in America where if if it is an inheritance, you don't necessarily have to pay taxes for it, right? Right. Um, it was huge. It was like seventeen billion or something. It was fourteen billion dollars. Fourteen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I think I think they don't say dollars. I think they they just said it's fourteen billion. Um, no, but I thought right. it was lira. It was lira. So I don't know what that translates to, um, especially back then at that time. But when he throws out that money or that that number, I like gasped. I was like, "Holy yeah. fuck!" Like. I don't know what that translates to again in American dollars, especially back then. But I can imagine that if it's not a couple of billion dollars, it's like not that far below it, you know. Right. Um, and so they With kind also, of go ahead. I was going to say it also does sound crazy, and I also have the same question because if you fast forward to you know, the end when he's bought out, when his shares are bought, he like they buy it for like, I think like 150 million or something. Yes. So I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm like, how do we get from 150 million to 14 billion that you're owed from what you're inheriting? If that is, I would assume, think, I, 
would think that there would be like those would seem to kind of be closer numbers. They seem so exorbitantly different. But yeah, I was also like that a little confusing. Well, what's also confusing is uh, Domenico approaches um, Lady Gaga's character, Patrizia, when the the uh, tax people show up at Maurizio's place and they start raiding it and start gathering all this information. And Domenico kind of like tells her off a little bit because he's like, no, you don't need to talk to them anymore. Like, I understand you're trying to like cooperate, but you do not need to cooperate with them and like pulls her over to a room and kind of quietly mentions to her, you know, there's there's uh, some other issues that keep kind of coming up and one of them is this idea that maybe there's a ford signature and he mentions this kind of in in private right and mentions it kind of under her his breath because i think shortly thereafter they kind of like confirm like is the place bugged and they're like yeah maybe probably and uh but they she throws it at the feet of paulo and she's like ah oh, paulo's such an idiot right and i found it very interesting that they would set that seat up so early on right you have to be paying attention as an audience member and then for her to kind of like grab those papers later and it's like okay we'll deal with this later and it never explicitly states that like like what happened like did he pay any inheritance tax did he in fact end up maybe having a document that was signed and forged and so that's why they don't ever touch on him like having to pay that because you know that was part of the deal was he was like whoa 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 whoa. maybe i can't even like touch any of this stuff because i don't have 14 lira 14 billion lira to even like accept this right because i think i think that's part of it is you can't necessarily use the money that you're inheriting to pay the taxes if i'm not mistaken okay that would make sense i I think that one of the ways i guess that i try to fill in the blank because when when we flash back to the moment where they're having the fight, where they're like in the cabin, like at the in the snow, um, I can't remember. Like I guess you know the Italian country or snow mountains, whatever. Uh, it was in Switzerland, um, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, when they're having that argument, she brings up to Mauricio. She's like, it has to be. That's when she brings up the thing, being like, you can't trust Domenico. She's and she's and that and you know Mauricio is like I can you know he's my oldest family friend like I don't know why you would say that this is kind of like you know when they start to get the thing but she says specifically she brings up the signature and she says something about she was like Domenico is the only other person who saw it so I think that the way that I was understanding is that they did forge the signature but then with the it now coming out about the idea that maybe possibly someone knows about a Ford signature, what which was prompting for her or what she was trying to tell him Mauricio, she was like, that would have had to come from Mauricio because the only three people that know that there was ever not a signature on this form is me, you and Domenico. And so, you know, we seemingly have moved past it, but if it's now coming up, you can't trust them in 
him because it obviously wasn't the two of us. That's the way that I was thinking it. So I definitely agree that I would have liked to not have to feel like I'm kind of like guessing and grasping at thoughts or what does feel like kind of a consequential plot point. But I do think that they kind of, but the way that they brought it back, you know, to like have her say the thing about Domenico was kind of like, oh, maybe this is what happened, you know, while we were skipping, you know, down the timeline eventually. Yeah, I, I just found that interesting because it definitely kind of it seems like such a such a big point for him, and even like I think uh, Patricia even mentions to him like this is bullshit. Like you shouldn't have to pay for something that's rightfully yours. Um, and so yeah, I mean, I guess you don't want to go into too much like talk about taxes and stuff like that but i i did find it interesting and especially since you know it seems like he's hinting that that was a forged signature and you know Maurizio is very much like an up and up kind of guy and he's also like he's studying law or at least was to a certain point. So he would very much know like, okay, this is like potentially really bad. <laughs> like, so I don't know. I, I found that interesting that they just kind of hand wave it and then bring it back and then hand wave it again. Speaking of critique, um, did anyone feel like, okay, I agree that the movie is a little too long, but I also kind of feel like we were shortchanged from the trial. Like it jumped from her victory sure. moment to her conviction. And I, maybe that's just the sequel. I don't know, whatever, but like maybe this is, should have been a mini series, but I felt like there was a lot of drama that could have been mined from a trial and we were sort of, uh, shortchange that a little bit yeah i i don't want the trial i don't i don't want that at all to be honest with you um i feel like a the movie is too long because it's trying to tell too much of a story right um i feel like the archness and the kind of like gonzo nature of this film would be better served by a shorter film because it would be much more rewatchable um as it is i i do feel like that that last third is a little bit too long and it's a little dour and it's a little it's not having as much fun right and right. i think we show up to this film to to have fun um and you know I think you can't have everything and this film definitely seems like it's trying to have everything. And, and that's one of the reasons why I mentioned something like Wolf of Wall Street, because that film definitely ends on this weird, like sad note as well, but it's, it's like the closing minutes of it. Right. Um, I think, uh, what, what's the other film with Leonardo DiCaprio, Catch Me If You Can? That mm -hmm. film also ends in kind of this weird, like, kind of trial and then kind of last little moment, but it, it kind of has this little little ending that's kind of, you know, a little a little spicy, a little a little bit more fun. Um, so I don't know. I 
I'm I'm not an expert on editing or anything like that, and I don't want to pretend to be. Um, but I do find it fascinating that I want more of the Wolf of Wall Street, which I'm pretty sure is right near or right at three hours. Um, and yet this film, I didn't want like a minute more of it. In fact, I wanted 20 minutes less of it. So I don't want this. I don't want this to be a TV series. I don't want it that. Um, I think, you know, if you create that and you want to have that drama of the courtroom, fine. Like I, I totally understand because Patrizia, especially portrayed by Lady Gaga is such a, such a powerful and magnetic performance, but Man, I was I was ready for this film to be over when it was over. Um and I think I don't think it's just that it kind of ends ends on a dour note. I think part of it is just it's kind of like the the fall of this Gucci empire. Like what happens in this film is basically when and you know, not not everybody, uh, uh, Aldo and Rodolfo don't both die in the film, right? It's it's just uh, Rodolfo that dies, and there's this money grab, there's this uh, power vacuum. That okay, is it going to be Maurizio? Is it going to be Maurizio via Patrizia? Uh, is it going to be? Uh, you know, maybe Paulo. And I think ultimately we end up where each one of them kind of make that grab for it. And none of them ultimately end up holding on to the company. And that's kind of the tragic story of the fact that nobody with the Gucci name actually owns the company anymore. Um, they were just too stubborn and not good enough at business and, and just dumb that, you know, they ended up basically selling off their own empire um, for pennies. And I think, I think that story is fully told. I don't think the story of Patrizia's, I mean, this film is basically exhibit A, right, of what happened, right, in a lot of ways. Like, it, it is the trial. It is telling it that story so i don't need to know more and and i mean in fact i was actually surprised they went as far as they did with actually showing her like okay i'm gonna take my my psychic with me to set up this hit and literally like show up with a fucking duffel bag full of money like i'm just like jesus christ what are we doing here you know and i did it's it's arch and it's fun but you know like i i've already seen like i don't want to i don't want to sit for a trial at this point because i've already seen it like i've already seen what happened i um I, i agree with the fact that i didn't need to see the trial but i also agree with Robin on the fact that I do think that we rushed to the trial a little bit too fast or that because in reality there was like space like in like after the death until like when they actually got to the trial and I think had a lot of like interesting things I mean I said I think that the idea is that Patricia kind of like started living you know off of the money that she inherited uh, for a while until they all kind of were essentially entrapped into kind of like talking on a phone call where they essentially admitted to the 
um, hit. And that's how they ended up in court, like having like actually like admitted like on a phone call with someone, you know, who was like involved with the authorities. That's probably a lot of, like, <laughs> right? It was like there was like a lot of, you know, interesting stuff that happened. I feel like that goes back to what I was saying with the idea that I think that kind of the film starts to kind of lose its central focus point. I really think that the film is at its strongest when Patricia is the central like force. And I think that kind of going along those lines, if we had stayed on a story about Patricia and, you know, kind of like woven in the Gucci story within that, then we get to the point where, you know, we see, we keep in the moment, you know, she shows up with a duffel bag and, you know, go to like the, uh, you know, see the hit or whatever, but, you know, we skip some of the other, like, non-Patricia stuff and then get more into, like, what Patricia is doing in, the, in that kind of space leading up to the trial. Because I agree with Robin, and it does feel like we go from, there's all this buildup, which I kind of thought was an interesting thing. See, I feel like so much of this film is, you know, has been advertised as obviously, like, the main selling point, main selling plot point. It's like, this is the woman who, like, hires someone to kill her husband. And it is funny to think that in, like, a two-hour, 40-minute movie, it's not really into the last, like, 15, 20 minutes that that even comes up at all. We don't touch on, like, the murder. Literally, it's the very end. It's not really going to put into motion. And I think that that's interesting. I mean, it's just, you know, story, like, timeline-wise, that's really kind of when it comes up. But it's like, once we get to that point, it does feel weird. And it's like, you get there, and then it's kind of just immediately like, well, that's the end. He's dead immediately we switch over to like, you know, the trial, see like a little clip and then go to like, you know, the face of all the real life characters. I think that there might've been a more elegant way to ease into the trial. I agree. Don't need to see the trial itself. That seems arduous. Not, I think trial movies can be very good, but I think you kind of have to be a movie that's going to be about a trial. I don't think you need to kind of face you know, squeeze something in the last five minutes to show that. But I would have liked to kind of see a more elegant lead into the landing of like the ending being her going to jail, but that we actually kind of see what happens like after the death, because I feel like there's a lot of actual interesting information, but I don't want to hold them to kind of, you know, obviously it's a director's and a screenwriter's choice about what to keep in. But I think as it is, it does feel a little clunky. And so one of the things that I would suggest to make it less clunky is to kind of show us some of the stuff that's happening in between there. Because it wasn't an immediate, she did this and then immediately was taken to jail. And I think that there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. And it would kind of help, again, to get back into the viewpoint of Patricia, who for me was the actual, like, center of the film and I feel like the film was at its best when it was treating Patricia as kind of like the gravitational force and everything around her and it's like why not why change that keep it there she has she's like I feel like the most dynamic character in the film and that it would have been interesting to kind of see that more but on the other thing I think I'm glad that you kept bringing up Wolf of Wall Street because I think that one of my main complaints about the film is that it's like you know as great as I think that some of, you know, like the set pieces were in the costuming, I think that the coloring was like very drab. Like, <laughs> like to speak about kind of like what, how, you know, large and campy the film was, I think that it was like, that was kind of where the serious quote unquote, like tone was getting was that, you know, this was, it seemed like very muted, like not even the colors themselves, but just kind of like the final like coloring job. And I, one of the things I think about when I remember about Wolf of Wall Street 
is just how like brightly lit it was. It was so like engaging on a visual level that I feel like, you know, I, one of the things that I think that got, that made me feel the length of House of Gucci was that it just wasn't as visually stimulating as it could have been. And I think that kind of that Wolf of Wall Street is such a great example of that because it's such just like a beautifully like vibrant you know, film just to like watch on a purely like visual cinematic level in a way that I don't think House of Gucci is. And that kind of, I think, fixed very easily with just kind of doing, taking a different route with how with the final coloring. So I think that that's one of my main gripes. I'm like, it's going to just, it's so big and it's so campy and it's so cartoonish anyway. Just go full ham and like give me just like a technicolor dream and not this kind of self-serious, like dour, like, you know, like I, weird I think, color I think, you, I think you want Paulo to have been the uh, the wardrobe creator here instead of Gucci. So, yeah. Uh, that's that's interesting that you're kind of noting that it is it is kind of muted tone. You know, I think I think what's funny is that you're talking about that and you're talking about kind of Gucci in a way at that time, right? Is is Gucci is like not only do they have this kind of uh, bad reputation within the fashion industry at this time that the film is kind of taking place, but also they are kind of being posited that they don't do pastels, they don't do browns, they right. don't do some of these kind of bright and vibrant colors, right? And I think that's kind of what Tom Ford is like bringing to right. uh, to them is this kind of fresh new energy. And part of that is fucking, it's, yeah, it's it's color, right? It's like, right. boom, here's, here's this bright, vibrant colors. And that would kind of go on to be definitely a thing of the 80s right is right you know i i do think patrizia has that that uh skiing outfit that's kind of you know you might expect would be more of the film but yeah right. it, it is it is interesting you know uh also speaking about the harder they fall uh my wife was asking me you know what i thought about that film and how how bright and vibrant the colors are in that and she was mentioning that like most films that are westerns are very kind of drab and like earth tones and stuff like that and i was like well i mean a that's part of that story's film is like to tell the story that's kind of bright and vibrant and it's it's a very violent and just hyper film in a lot of ways but also like that's a rich thing, right? Like back in the day in a Western, like why would you spend, you know, money on a bright blue dress that would never stay bright blue? You know, that would right. be someone that, that, you know, a rich person would do because they would be able to keep it bright and blue, you know? Right. Um, so I, I think that's interesting that you're mentioning that, that, you know, just doesn't necessarily have some of that kind of flash. And I think, I don't know. It, it, it's interesting because maybe that's that's just the Gucci name there, <laughs> working its against itself. Right, possibly, yeah. But then that's the thing is, I feel like you know, if you're going to create the film that is so large and vibrant tonally, then it's like you know, maybe go ahead. You don't have to match that because, like, for me, the way that sure. I saw it is was as you know, Ridley's attempt to kind of 
because uh, I think it was Robin earlier who was saying earlier that she was of the mindset that really was intending to make a campy movie. I don't necessarily know that I agree with that as much. Like, I do think that, you know, he was thinking he was making a fun movie, but maybe not as comically unhinged as I think it actually ended up being. <laughs> I think <laughs> so. that's a perfect description of this movie. Yeah. Comically unhinged, like, critically deranged. Um, like it, it, it's truly truly crazy and i think that kind of that because it's less like not like i said it's not really the top thing like i think you know like obviously that's species but i think gaga wears several different like he wears a lot of red in the movie, but they're a vibrant costume it's like literally just like the actual like coloring like of the entire like you know screen that i'm like i feel like it could have just been a little bit more and so i was like when you brought up wolf of wall street i was like that's such an excellent counter example because like when i think about that movie and there's so much i love about that movie obviously and it's one of my favorite sports as films one of my favorite you know performances but one of the things that i do also think about that film was just kind of like how vibrant it is like and that's what makes why i associate it as being so fun is because it is you know in a world where you know, prestige naturally equates to like dark and dreary. Now, I love the idea of a movie that is like unafraid to just be bright and bold and like, but still yeah. like know it's going to be taken seriously because it's like I don't need to like have to squint to see something to take something seriously, you know. And I like that idea. And this one, I'm like, this the tone is there. Just give us the color, give us the brightness in a way that I feel like it was tempered down. I think in my opinion, to kind of feel a little bit more like serious. So, you know, this movie, from what I'm reading, you know, is it, it's not flopping. I don't know if it's like making a huge amount of money, but like you would consider the last duel basically a flop. And, and yeah. this movie made what $5 million on Wednesday. Um, no, I, I heard that it's had the biggest, opening like weekend for like an adult drama in the past two years is what wow. I like heard like like as of like today or yesterday so it's definitely I would say a success so far like not even just not flopping I it's making I think it is doing performing very very well for the studio um and made 21 million what, that's not bad yeah, for the pandemic yeah Wow. Was, you know, funny. I mean, everyone was thinking it was going to be like, tenant. that was going to bring, bring people back to the theater. Who knew it wasn't going to be some big flashy blockbuster? It was going to be Gaga and House of Gucci. You know, I kind of love that. So, so if this movie makes money and stays in the conversation, it could potentially be an Oscar um, contender. Now, I think the reviews have been so all over the place that people started to discount this as a potential awards player. But if it makes enough money, it, it's going to stay in the game. I mean, I, I, Richard, for example, didn't make anything. So there right. goes Will Smith. I mean, I, I honestly think that even without, I think regardless of the way that people think about this movie, I think that it's from the beginning with a guaranteed awards player in terms of performances. I think there is no world that Gaga doesn't get a, a nomination. Oh, from your I mouth to God's ears. Really, <laughs> I, I am pretty like sure that that is kind of the one thing that I think I can rely on that this movie is going to do. I don't necessarily, I don't 
know a path where it becomes like a best picture contender. Surely not best editing or anything, but I think Gaga is definitely going to be a lock. I think that people are really starting to take like Jared's performance, like are starting to is getting a lot of thing, which I kind of agree. I think you might have brought it up earlier or someone that I think is very exciting of the idea for such a broadly comedic performance. Yeah. The idea of not getting Oscar recognition at all seems exciting to me because I think we're in, you know, I am such a diehard, like, person on the side of being, like, you know, I hate the idea that, like, horror films are completely, you know, not acknowledged by the Academy and kind of, like, things that I think can be very great, but there's, like, a certain type of film, a certain type of performance that the Academy chooses, right, to acknowledge. And I would just love the idea. Not that I think that Jared should win. I think that there have been better, you know, supporting male performances, but the idea that he could be taken seriously at all in what again is like literally the just the <laughs> largest performance, just most off the wall, completely deranged performance that I have seen is an exciting thought again. I but like I think Gaga's nomination is a lock for me. Like, I think she is oh, as far as the best actress race. I can't imagine that she doesn't get a nomination. She's so fucking radiant. The, the, she and, steals yeah. the movie. There's no movie without her performance. She it's is amazing. The, like, as I said, she's the, she's the center of that film. And I think that is the one consistent thing across reviews. Whether or not people loved it, hated it, thought it was fun but bad, I don't. I haven't read anything where someone hasn't been like, "Gaga is a movie star," and if you didn't believe that before, you can't watch this and not think that. Right. And I think right. with that critical kind of acclaim paired and coupled with the idea of like what it what the film is doing at the box office, with a lot of people very easily knowing that it's not doing that at the box office because it's Gucci or anything else, but it is because people are coming out to see Gaga that there's no way that the Academy like misses out on that perfect combination of like obviously great and like a very popular person as a whole to just draw eyeballs yeah. to the broadcast itself, but also coming from what is a very admirable performance. And I mean it is just I think Gaga, you know, is share in that sense of kind of like really yes. being able to like make that, you know, transition yes. from like pop star to like not just pop star doing a movie, but pop star to like bonafide actress. Like really, like this is like an actor. An Oscar winner. (laughs) Yes, he is an Oscar winner. Like let us not forget. And I just think that this is like this film, I think A Star is Born was incredible. And I think that what she was able to do in that Fucking love that movie. Was just transcendent. I adore that movie so much. Uh, the way Bradley Cooper got treated by the Academy to this day still does not sit right with me at all. They really just did not respect my king during that run. But like what Gaga was able to do with that film, I think was incredible. But I think that House of Gucci can show something so different. Like it's so just completely different. I just shows like the versatility that she has. And I just, again, like I said, I don't think that there's a world where she doesn't have a nomination. Even if the possibility gets one nomination, I think it's going to be that. I hope so. I really hope so. I mean, I know that Kristen Stewart is getting all the attention. um, And we just watched Spencer over the weekend. And I was just like, I mean, 
it, as a friend said, like, it's not just that she's doing the best performance is that she's doing the most performance in that movie. And I was trying to figure out what's the difference between Lady Gaga and Kristen Stewart. And I think it's just that Lady Gaga understands the layers of comedy and camp and bigness that she's doing. And I don't think Kristen Stewart acknowledges that. I think she's just doing full hilt Diana impression. Um, So yeah, everybody's ready for big right now. This, This is a year of big, loud, over overextended performances and i'm here for it i thought you know francis mcdormand and tragedy of macbeth was phenomenal and you know i of the of the big contenders i think olivia coleman is probably the most subdued in in the lost daughter um so these are all all women i'm rooting for (laughs) yeah i mean they're all great i i'm seeing like a pizza tomorrow but i mean the idea of like a llama getting in and also definitely that's another huge big performance um we'll say that again i didn't hear you Jessica Chastain for the Isaac Kennedy Bay. Oh, God. Also, another, <laughs> like, like, this, this really is the year of big performances. And tick, tick, boom, Lord. <laughs> like, that was like, is... we get it, Andrew, we get it. <laughs> Hold down it, that yeah, hair I mean, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it, it's really an interesting. We're definitely, I feel like, moving away from kind of like, the subdued method, which I don't know if this may be like, you know, pandemic fatigue if like you want everything to be like I think large, it is. I've already like, pitched yeah, about this. Like, like, like we're over pandemic. We <laughs> right. We just want things that are big and like stimulating and like in your face. And I think that that's why, you know, people are like going out to Gucci. Right? And I think that that's honestly why I think has been so funny that I have been a trend amongst all, not all, but like a lot of the reviews that I have written is that everyone is it's like a disclaimer. It's like, you know, it's not, you know, a particularly good movie or like terrific. It's not particularly well written or well directed, but it is so fun. And like, I love that the idea that there really does seem to kind of be a consensus about making this point of being like, sometimes there is room and space to just like, have fun in the theater and just like let yourself just kind of go and be like this is not particularly good but who cares like i'm you know enjoying i mean that's like an interesting thing and like whether or not that's you know gaga or jared or just again like people's need to be able to kind of just completely unwind and allow themselves to sink into like this very broad camp thing about this very salacious you know scandalous story it's just, I feel like it's just become the perfect storm. I mean, it obviously would be slightly more perfect if it actually proves itself to be a movie that you couldn't, you know, nitpick. But I think that the fact that it can be as messy as it is, but still have people being like, I would recommend it because it's fun, I think says so much about right. where we are right now, but also just about how great kind of the magnetism of like the characters on the screen and just watching them it's just so fun that it's like i don't even care that this movie is particularly good because it's just i feel like need it <laughs> right right i agree with you i agree with you so yeah. any final thoughts on this movie you guys what do you think we didn't even talk about the sex scene and my, my husband's favorite thing was uh they're like banging on the on the desk and it's like full hardcore like screaming sex. Why and then, at work? 
And while they're at work, cut to she's in her wedding dress, that like big buttercream white dress. And you're just like, yeah, you nailed it. (laughs) You got everything you wanted, girl. Um, My husband absolutely adored that. Um, And I did as well. Yeah, it is a... It's a good smash cut. Perfect smash cut. Best smash cut of the year. And, and well, also the soundtrack is so fun. I think that that's also a thing oh, that yeah. itself. Like, you know, speaking the wedding scene with like, you know, George Michael is such like a great like assortment of like disco and, you know, like 70s, 80s, like But again, I have like add to like just like the overall like fun enjoyment of the movie. It's just like totally. Yeah, I feel like it. Like it is I would describe House of Gucci as the best non-particularly good film that I have seen this year. <laughs> and then when I walked out being like, it's not that good, but God, like, I just, I, I can't actually, I'm not walking out saying I would recommend this to everyone. Like, I know, is, I know. And that's the thing is, is like, is it going to be in my top 10? Like, <laughs> it might end up being in my top 10 just from pure enjoyment, like, like intrinsic lizard brain enjoyment. Right. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think there's there's such a I, I like the fact that this movie exists because I like the fact that it has kind of challenged a lot of us to be able to find that great space. Whereas I feel like for in so many of these conversations, you know, it is like this is a bad film. <laughs> like or this is a really good film that I love. It's a really bad film I didn't like. But what about those films? But I like, but then kind of like from my intellectual standpoint, my critical standpoint, I'm like, this is not good, but I'm like, eh, like, what does that mean? And I like being challenged in that way because it's just like, okay, like, I mean, but at the end of the day, was a, a film about this particular story ever going to not be entertaining or enjoyable? That's what I don't know. I mean, the story itself is just so, again, like, scandalous that it's like, it would take a very, very bad director to completely bungle this exciting story with such like inherent you know fascinating details to like not make something that is going to still be entertaining with these crazy characters here here so i don't know bill what any final thoughts Uh, i think i think we've said it all i think we've said it all um so what are we talking about next week? I think it's Power of the Dog. So I'm very much looking forward to that movie. Um, Bill, have you seen it yet? No, I haven't seen it, but yes, that's what we're going to be watching. And Coming to Netflix, everybody. So if you want to get caught up, you know, catch, catch that film, The Power of the Dog. Yeah. Um, so let's, uh, let's let the audience know where we can find everyone. Um, Michael, why don't you plug yourself a little bit and tell us where we can find you on the social medias? Of course. So again, my name is Michael QB. You can follow me on Twitter at YoSoyMichael, um, like Y-O-S-O-Y and my name. Or you can find me on Instagram. I know what that means. Where you find me on Instagram at MichaelQB is my first and last name. Um, and yeah, my, my work can be found all over. <laughs> nice, nice. And Bill, where can we find you besides mixing it up on the Slack channel? Oh, stole it. Uh, you can also <laughs> find me on Twitter at CableBFG. You can also find me as well uh, posting dog pics all the time on uh 
Instagram at Billstagram. Um, yeah. And uh, having fun and uh, look, look for more interesting reviews as we kind of round up this uh, the end of the year. Holy shit, it's here. Yeah, there's a lot more movies coming out and our schedule is kind of insane until like March, I think. Um, just trying to catch up to everything as the Oscar season sort of bubbles up. Even though we're supposed to be awards haters, I will always still stick to the big talked about movies because I just can't help it. Sorry, Jordan, our <laughs> benevolent Lord and Master, who is a big indie arts film guy. Um, well, I mean, you know, the indies still get love too. So that's true. It's true. They do. I mean, I like a mix of things personally, but what's what's interesting is unfortunately and fortunately, a lot of the indie darling directors are now on fucking netflix and amazon like mm-hmm. it's just like Chloe Zhao's there jane campion is there and you know I mean, um, yeah scorsese uh you know um so and roma who who is that uh not quite so it's just like yeah so, you know, if if they can't make money and they can't get Fox and whoever else to fucking finance their films, I guess they just go to the place with funny money where they're just like, yeah, we'll make your movie. How much? <laughs> 120? Yeah. Okay, we can do yeah. that. Sure. 120 yeah. and some Oscars? Yeah. <laughs> Boost me up, baby. Yeah, I agree. Adam McKay, Paolo Sorrentino. I mean, they're all... Yeah, yeah. that's true. Very that true. That really covering all of the bases. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And they speaking of funny money, yeah, they've definitely got a lot of money to spend on wooing these these critics. That's for sure. Um, oh my god! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and especially this this year. I mean, they have so many movies this year that are like guaranteed, like you know, Oscar players, and they are sparing no expense. That is <laughs> very true. So make sure you know. Yeah, every time my doorbell rings, Erica is just like, it's a fucking another package. (laughs) I've got too many goddamn, like, coffee table books at this point for a bunch of films that I haven't even seen. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ. Like, I just just got, what is it? Um, A a flask and, like, shot glasses and, like, a funnel from The Mm -hmm. Harder They Fall. And I'm like... I'm not going to fucking, like, where do I go that I need a fucking flask? Like, what what age am I? Like, Jesus Christ. Maybe if I was in fucking college or something, but no, not not as a grown-ass adult. Like, if they're not serving alcohol wherever I'm going, like, either I drink before or I'm just not going to that location. One for the road, Bill! Oh, why? That's so crazy. Yeah, I don't know who uses a flask anymore. I I, I feel like I'm going to get a, a flood of tweets of like, here's the scenario. And just be like, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I think some people brought flasks to my wedding because it was a uh, not an open bar affair. So, okay. oh, well. well, you know, some people also brought me to my wedding. <laughs> it's just like, like all the bridesmaids just disappeared and we're like smoking doobies or whatever. <laughs> Fucking kids. Crazy yes. kids. Kids. Um, so where can we find me? So I'm an, I'm on Twitter at R-O-B-Y-N-B-A-H-R. Um, you can also find my writing. Uh, I've written for a few different places, but at yentavision.com, which is my website. 
And I'm also on Letterboxd. As I mention every week, I rate out of four stars. So the highest movie that I can, the highest rating I can ever give a movie is four stars. Three stars is a good rating for me because I just can't get used to this five-star system. It's always been four for me. And you can blame the New York Post, which is where I (laughs) imprinted my criticism thoughts from. So there we go. Um, Yeah. So Michael, thank you so much. Um, We're really so excited to have had you on. And this was such a fun time to talk about House of Gucci. And I love that we all loved it. Yes. Yes, of course. Thank you so much for having me on. I have had such a great time talking about this absolutely crazy movie. And it has been great talking with both of you. Wonderful. And uh, don't don't forget, y'all, uh, this episode of the Film State Show is brought to you by Mubi. Again, that's uh, M-U-B-I dot com slash film stage for your uh, one month free 30 days. Marvel, Italian.